0: Hey, it's Mike here from Music Radio Creative. Just before we get into this episode, I wanted to let you know about a free, exclusive audio download for you as a podcast listener. If you'd like to claim it, head over now to mrc.fm forward slash play. That's P-L-A-Y, mrc.fm forward slash play, and enjoy the episode.
1: Want the exact Adobe Audition multi-track template we use to produce audio of Music Radio Creative? Get it at mrc.fm slash
0: preset. Hi, I'm Mike Russell from Music Radio Creative. Welcome to the Adobe Audition podcast where I'm interviewing power users of Adobe Audition. We'll reminisce back to Cool Edit Pro and take you right up to date with Adobe Audition CC. If you'd like to learn about audio production, everything from vocal effects to radio imaging, commercial production to music mixing, join my next audio production course at mrc.fm/learn. That's mrc.fm/l e a r n. Master Adobe Audition, training, workshops, one-on-one coaching, courses. Head to mrc.fm learn. My guest on this show is Charles Van Winkle. He's from Minneapolis, and Charles is the co-lead audio developer at Adobe, uh, working primarily on Adobe Audition, features, bug fixes, you name it. Uh, Charles is all over that piece of software. I'm I'm interested to ask him in just a moment exactly what he does uh, day-to-day at the moment with Adobe Audition, celebrating its 25th birthday this year. Uh, So to give you a bit more background on Charles, he's a member of the Audio Engineering Society and various other industry groups. Not only that, he gets out and about as an invited lecturer and educator at numerous conferences. He's presented uh, presentations such as Basic Audio Theory, Digital Audio Enhancement, and also Audio forensics. So I reckon this is going to be a brilliant episode. And Charles, I'm excited to welcome you onto the show. Thanks for having me. Great. So um, what are you responsible for on a daily basis uh, when you're working uh, at Adobe on the, in particular, the software Adobe Audition then?
1: So I, along with a team of a number of really excellent people, uh, keep Audition alive and, and uh, make it faster, make it run on the latest operating systems, fix any bugs that come in, come up with zany ideas of what to do next and to respond to uh, requests from just random people out there, but also some of our key customers that we work with uh, on an individual basis. So for myself in particular, um, I've tended to look after a lot of the audio file format support in Audition. Um, I have a real... um, say, a a real nice relationship with uh, audio file format specifications. So uh, early on, I I read through the WAVE specification and the AIFF specification and could recite most of the broadcast WAVE spec, you know, by heart. And so that has led me to working on uh, a lot of the audio file format import to make sure that we were always to spec and that, you know, if someone else could import a particular audio file, we should be able to as well, and then to make sure on the export side that um you know no one re- would reject a file from audition, so we have customers that are working with really really old phone call systems from the eighties for you know their phone prompts, and they take a very very particular flavor of wave and there's same thing with you know weird things with web technologies that can only take certain types of m p threes and so forth. So, um, with that is a lot of audio codecs. So I did a lot with um, um, updating to our latest MP3 libraries, and I did the Dolby support when we had that in there, and then also switched to operating system Dolby support recently. And um, I, I've in in sort of a lead position. I've tried to let some of the other people on the team take the really cool, fun, exciting things. And I would sort of take one for a team and try to do a lot of plumbing. So right now I'm working on some of the less interesting things like uh, licensing and, and, um, some analytics stuff, but it's all very important to the business, and and someone's got to do it. That makes sense, yeah. And,
0: and like you said uh, at the start, there, you know, uh, work on zany ideas from time to time. Certainly, it seems like uh, Adobe Audition and, and the team uh, working on Audition seem to come up with really creative solutions. Like uh, in recent years, uh, Remix, Auto Ducking, fantastic new features, and I can't wait to ask you some of your favorites. Let's let's just speak before we move on about the um, the file formats because I think. I think this is fascinating and to be able to talk to you as someone who's working directly with this so in particular as a podcaster i'm i'm always curious as to what is the the best the most recognized the the, the, the you know the very best practices for saving your audio i'm guessing it would be mp3 but have you got any any tips at all can you speak to that uh, if you're creating an audio podcast what might be the best thing to do constant bit rate variable bit rate all of that kind of stuff what would your opinion be on that
1: Well, that sort of decision is driven by what is your downstream destination. So you think of it just like any other audio processing, you think of it as a signal flow diagram. And whatever you put out depends on what's coming next. And there's certain podcasting services that would favor uh, MP3 versus AAC. Um, MP3 is going to be more universal, but uh, a lot of institutions and a lot of people are trying to move off of MP3. And I think that's going to take a lot longer than people realize uh towards aac um advanced audio coding and goes under several different names and there's a few different flavors of aac but you can get a higher fidelity sound with a lower bit rate with more modern codecs like aac um, i don't want to discount some of the open source codecs um some of which audition doesn't uh support just yet but Things like Og Opus, um are very interesting. Audition doesn't support it yet, but I'm looking into it, and I've, I would find that one to be very interesting because uh, different browsers and different um, mobile phones so where people in, uh, listen to podcasts have different capabilities. As far as uh, variable bitrate, often known as VBR or constant bitrate, um, constant bitrate would be the easiest for a decoder to implement. Um VBR, you should be able to get a better um, encoding or a smaller file size. And the trade-off between fidelity and file size I th- I've since learned in the podcasting world um, probably only really matters if you're if you have advertisements and you're monetizing your podcast. Uh, there's specific rules around, uh, do the do you get paid or not? Uh, how far a podcaster gets into the file and how they measure that is sometimes file size. So if you have a large ID3 album art image at the top of your MP3 file, that has to load before the user actually listens to anything. And and how that's measured for advertisements is gets a little tricky. So. I don't have a, a real clear answer, but that's probably what you would get from an engineer anyways. It's, it, the answer is always going to be, it depends, and they give you several options.
0: That's it. But that's uh, been very interesting in itself, just to hear um, what you were saying about the transition from MP3 and uh, potential uh, future file format. So yeah, really good answer. Let's talk about um, audio production advice or audio engineering advice. What would you say over, over your years of, you know, being a member of the audio engineering society, what would you say is some of the best advice you've received?
1: Some of the best advice I've received is to not look just at music. You know, a lot of people going into audio school or whether it's an audio program at a, um, just a random institution or a trade school or a four year university or just doing on the job stuff, um, a lot of people get into this field due to a love of music and a passion for music, but there's a lot of audio out there that is not music. And if you're looking to make this a career, uh, it's really good to open yourself up to other places and other, um, industries or subsets that would be willing to pay you for your skills and, and your ears. Um, examples of this would be, um, audio books or, you know, anything spoken word, um, you can always find places that could benefit from someone who's skilled using an audio workstation and has decent equipment or, you know, good ears or just a passion for doing it. Um, I worked in several different areas before working at Adobe. I worked in live sound reinforcement, um, radio broadcast, uh, television broadcast, independent film, um, and I originally got into it for music. I want to be a, a scoring mixer. But for what I've actually gotten paid to do as an audio engineer, um, it's usually been other things that aren't solely music. One thing in particular that stood out when I was looking at some of the topics
0: you lecture on, uh, uh, is your knowledge on audio forensics. Maybe you could, you could talk a little bit about that and how exactly that works. Uh, I'm really curious to know more. Is this like, is this police work or FBI work that where, where you'd be like analyzing audio for sounds or talk a little bit more about your audio forensics work?
1: Sure. So I, um, didn't do any of that in school, but I, Um, met people within this community and it usually is a close-knit community um, at an AES, an Audio Engineering Society, conference. And, you know, there were a couple of lectures on this topic. And year after year, I'd see some of the PowerPoint presentations would have screenshots from Audition. It had that very recognizable lime green waveform that we have in the waveform editor for years and years and years. And so i go up and talk to people and uh, who were giving the presentations and um you know they introduce you to a few other people and then you get invited to a conference to sort of teach um enhancement techniques or noise reduction techniques within audition and so i've done that uh for a few years at uh sometimes at, at a broader conference and sometimes at uh lesser known and somewhat secretive conferences that's specific to law enforcement kind of an invite only thing and I can only go to my one area and then I can't see anything else since I'm not a member of law enforcement. But my involvement has basically been teaching, how do you use audition? uh, How do you clean up files? What are some of the ways that you can tell that you're doing more harm than good when doing noise reduction? Because a lot of these files that they have from uh, surveillance cameras or, you know, random things have really terrible audio, or you can imagine a, um, a bank heist and the fire alarm is going off. So you have this loud bell or buzzer that's beeping or buzzing when you're trying to hear something else or surveillance footage from a a hidden camera in a dashboard. And you have a bunch of engine noise and and other rumble. So it's, it's teaching a lot of it's teaching the basics because the, the attendees at these conferences uh, would be, Some of the uh, three-letter and four-letter agencies from the United States, and also there would be some from um, overseas, the UK, Canada, Australia, and and so forth. Um, And then sometimes small local uh, police forces that have one guy who's in charge of all the image processing and video processing, and they also have to do audio, and they have a normal sort of patrol shift where they're out in the car and, and driving around doing normal patrol work. So they're not necessarily experts, but more often than not they would have the Adobe suite or now creative cloud because they're also doing their image processing work in Photoshop. So uh, sometimes it would be basics and sometimes uh, we'd be talking very advanced things with um, larger institutions. They have their own internal research group and I've um, helped review papers in this space for authenticating if a, WAV file or a WMA file has been altered, and how can you detect what software may have altered it? That's usually in the metadata or the structure of the file. Um, And then also just sort of say, well, here's the type of noise. These are the type of tools within Audition that you can deal with for a hum versus a buzz versus a click versus distortion.
0: That's really cool and and really definitely an interesting uh, part of your work. So I'm really glad you you were able to talk about that. I'd like to know a little bit maybe about challenging projects you've worked on and also uh, your future. Let's take a look at that right now. So for you, Charles, what would you say is one of the most challenging projects you've had to work on?
1: As an audio engineer, some of the most challenging stuff has been as a uh, field sound mixer. Uh, So this would be a, a production sound mixer for film where I'd be working with a boom op and usually another assistant and we'd be on set. Uh, recording the dialogue for a, a scene in a film or a commercial or something like that. And the most challenging is, is unlike being in the studio or in a concert hall, uh, you're outside in the elements. So dealing with, uh, how do you mask raindrops on the right coat on the boom pole? And how do you keep your fingers from freezing when you're out in the cold? And, you know, just sort of being out in nature that has its own challenges. Um, uh, there was one time where the uh, generator uh, caught on fire while we were filming, and that was kind of scary because we didn't know if the uh, if it would get to the fuel tank or not. Um, challenging projects from as a developer on audition, um, there's some really challenging bugs sometimes, and they're not always audition's fault. But you know, they come in, and, and we have to figure out you know what the cause is, regardless. And I remember uh, one bug years ago, um, probably with Audition 3, uh, where I don't remember what was going wrong, but it, it, something wasn't working right, and none of us could reproduce the issue in-house. We had clear repro steps. We were on the phone with the customer, we talked with them. And whatever it was, it's, you know, something wasn't working right. And then we spent uh, several of us, uh, spent weeks on this. And it turned out that it was some sort of software that their internet service provider, the cable company, installed along with their modem that had some sort of conflict, which is why we were never able to reproduce it in-house. But it's also something we would have never guessed. And and it ended up not being our issue, but the, the work to sleuth out those causes, uh, takes takes some interesting skills and a lot of patience. So there's issues like that that are are the most challenging where you're presenting with an issue, someone says it doesn't work and oftentimes you start, you know, with very basic questions and you know, ground level and just figure out okay, what's different about your setup or your file or your system or your workflow that we've not seen this issue in house, you know, such that we can fix it. And so there's a number of those that are are particularly challenging. I had one where I actually flew out to Hollywood. This was for Premiere Pro, where a film that we were working on um, or was being edited in Premiere Pro, uh, during editorial, the audio would drop out randomly. And we couldn't figure out why. And this was a very unique setup with, um, you know, a fiber optic network to a huge, you know, shared storage that was Raids and raids of uh, SSDs, you know, terabytes of it, um, a really, really tricked out Mac Pro and, you know, huge amounts of RAM, huge number of processors, yet the audio would drop out randomly. And it turned out that we would read the audio from the file, we'd put it into memory uh, to cache it for when we needed to play it. And by the time that we got to play it there were certain circumstances where we would have released that audio before the playhead got to that position so we prefetched the audio then let it go and then asked to play it and we could say oh where's where's the audio I expected and that one took a while to figure out uh, partially because I had to figure out how that system worked in premiere first and I had to build some tools to analyze what each of these components in the system were doing and then figure out a fix with, with another gentleman. And that was a pretty rewarding one because um, that made me eligible to get my name in the credits for this film. So among the small, lesser known independent films and commercials that I had worked on, um, there's at least one A-list Hollywood movie that has my name in it and so that was kind of fun that's super cool and uh, yeah just listening to what you said there about you know
0: troubleshooting all the way back to audition 3.0 that's a blast from the past um, and and yeah I can I can well imagine how challenging it must be when you get reports uh, saying you know audition isn't working in this case or uh, I'm on this operating system and this is happening and then trying to replicate that your end and like you say particularly if it if it is a hidden issue at the user's end which may not at first be apparent I I mean, yeah, how you managed to discover that it wasn't actually the user's computer, but it was something on their modem that was affecting uh, their use is amazing. Something uh, I, I hear quite a bit, and I, I would be really curious to get your take on this, uh, you know, as someone who's, who's working at troubleshooting these problems uh, from the Adobe end. Um, often people will come to me and they'll say, oh, you know, my my audio isn't recording correctly. It's it's dropping out or it's clicks are uh, coming into play. Um, and, you know, one of the things I always think, about is like changing the the i o buffer size i mean is that the one one fit for all solution or is, is that where we should be looking or what would you usually do when you're troubleshooting these kind of problems maybe you can you can provide a few more tips because this is something i hear
1: all the time yeah absolutely so um up front i'll, I'll give the de facto engineer answer it depends so um looking at the i o buffer size is a good place to start um Usually if you are playing back and not doing any live recording, you could actually increase your buffer size rather large. What that does is that allows Audition to process larger chunks of audio in a single you know, time slice at a single time less often. Whereas if you have a smaller buffer size we go through the entire rendering loop on smaller blocks more often. So that will usually require higher CPU load if you have a smaller buffer size. The beauty of having a smaller buffer size and why you would want to tend towards that lower end is if you're recording. Uh, Because if you're monitoring through the software, you would want that buffer size to be as low as possible because you would want the recording latency to also be as low as possible. Um, But if you're just editing or playing back, you can actually notch that up and that allows you to have more plugins or more effects or uh, other things going on. If you are monitoring um, during recording, like, you know, doing punch-ins, whether it's for uh, voiceover work or for music, um, the best way to go would be to monitor through hardware because then you can have absolute zero latency, but not every device allows for that. So if you're just recording through a mic input on your desktop or your laptop, um, you might not have that option, but if you have a prosumer piece of gear or professional piece of gear, usually there's a way to, um, route the recorded signal back out to some output or the headphones. And that's usually ideal if you can do that. And at that point you can, change the buffer size to whatever you want and not have any uh, latency effects
0: that's super helpful i mean that's amazing information uh, on setting the buffer size in particular okay so we have looked at the challenging projects you've worked on uh some of your great audio production advice what about something cool you'd like to work on this could be something inside audition or something you know completely out there that you you would be excited to work on in the future maybe a, a project you haven't even told anyone about yet what would that be become a great audio producer Learn the secrets of creating great sounding audio. Go to mrc.fm slash learn.
1: Well, I'd like to say, uh, to some extent, uh, customer driven. So um, uh, the video products at Adobe and, and several other products too have uh, started using a new site called User Voice that allows people to uh, submit feature requests and vote on them. So if you do help provide feedback from Audition's menus, it now routes to that page. Uh, pro Tools has been doing that for years with IdeaScale and during Gleaves, the Proc manager of Audition, he and I had looked into several of these services years ago, but we couldn't get uh, traction with the broader Adobe management. But um, I, pro- I, I look at that list regularly, even though it's only been out for a few months, and there's certain little things that would be really cool to do a lot of the fun ones that we can just do on on our own or on the side, like as a Skunkworks project, um, we would call it a JDI or just do it. So sometimes if it's something small that's like okay, and yeah, probably take me two days to do. Sometimes you you just need a break from whatever you've been working on normally and just do something that you can complete and finish. So there's a few of those that are on my mind. I won't go into the ones which those are, but uh, to your original question. Um, I'd like to get the um, Premiere Pro round trip with Audition um, much better, uh, at least to a, a state that um, kind of makes other interchange formats irrelevant, at least for our products. So no need to use OMF or AAF, you know, between our two products. Um, there was a GSM noise removal uh, thing that I had prototyped, and they actually got a patent for um, I got it pretty close, but never got it to the finish line where it made it into the product, and now almost no one has GSM phones, so that sort of DSP or noise reduction isn't as useful. Um, I toy around with the idea of other generator effects, so just simple you know, toy things like, um, like a Morse code generator. We used to have a DTMF tone generator in the older versions of Audition, just bringing those back. That was... The generate speech feature uh, was one that I did a few years ago on my 10-year sabbatical. Um, so once I once Adobe employees hit 5, 10, 15 years, the, they get a few weeks off. And um, I'm a little bit of an addict in working on the code base of Audition, so I, I wanted to do a new feature. that, And that was a random one that wasn't on the list. Not too many people were requiring it, but I noticed that there were APIs to do this both on Windows and Mac OS, and so I thought, okay, well, let's make a feature out of this. And I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. And, and when I got back from my sabbatical, I said, "Da da, here you go." And there's a few other people on the team uh, that do features like that, and it's it's grown to the point where a few of us have um, alter egos, uh, named egos. So um, there was another person who did a feature this past winter that was kind of over the Christmas break and. Uh, He blamed it on a gentleman named Rudolf, and uh, I have an alter ego for someone that does, you know, happy surprises, and his name is Ludwig. Um, And I chose that name because there's a lot of people on the team who are in Germany right now, so I tried to choose a very Germanic name for it just to hide in the bushes. I like
0: that. That's really cool. And you really triggered off some happy memories when you mentioned uh the generate DTMF tones which I remember using in Adobe Audition 3.0 um and, and previous versions when it, when it was available. Um I, I'm not so sure how much how useful that would be today, but certainly uh, back in the day when I, when I was working in radio and we we had landlines into the radio station, uh, I, I discovered, as I'm sure many others did, that you can generate these tones and play them down a phone line and actually dial out a number. So using those tones to do all kinds of uh, you know phone dialing and you know calling listeners up while on the air was was fantastic. Uh, and also for some reason I don't know if this is the same around the world, but in the UK. The way we used to trigger a a travel bulletin, uh, a special signal would be sent to the transmitter, and again, it was three DTMF tones. uh, So you could you could generate them, and you could kind of you could even play about with them. I remember you could sort of like um, edit the timings, add a little bit of reverb, (laughs) and trying to EQ them and pull them out to to make them sound like part of the production rather than just playing phone tones on the air. Uh, I just remember having a lot of fun with that. But yeah, I am not sure how applicable. DTMF tones are, are today. Maybe maybe they're they're out of date. Maybe they're just good for sound design now, I don't know.
1: Yeah, even if uh, they're not that applicable, having more phone freakers use your uh, program is probably a good thing. Definitely, definitely for sure. So, okay,
0: we, we've spoken about uh, really cool projects and the challenging projects you've worked on. What about going back to your past, back to your childhood, where you first realized uh, that audio was something you were particularly interested in? Is the is one memory that uh, takes you back to, audio in your youth that that really makes you smile and has got, kind of got to you to the place that you are now,
1: Charles? Uh, I'll give a couple. Uh, one is I was notorious for turning up the large volume knob on my dad's Radio Shack stereo receiver when it wasn't turned on. And then someone would go and turn it on and it was full blast and they would get startled. That was probably when I was about five or so. And there's a story that I heard from one of my aunts that um, we went to, uh, a zoo in the Pacific Northwest over on, uh, the coast of Washington state. And there was a little tram that would take you through the tour of the, the grounds of the zoo. And, uh, I must've been about three or so I'm told. And the whole way, uh, I was asking what they thought sounded like, uh, I want to see the wild acres. I want to see the wild acres or where are the eakers or the wild eakers and it turns out I was asking about the loudspeaker for whoever was giving the tour they had a little microphone and then there were small little loudspeakers in the trams and I was just fixated on that and I don't remember that but I've heard that story told to me a number of times so the bug for audio came early um I played piano uh uh when I was young and then moved to percussion and uh, often throughout my childhood um I had uh, personal computers available to me. And at some point during high school, I realized you can put technology and music together and you end up with audio. And And I've been on the straight course for that uh, ever since then. So I've, I've been very fortunate that... Um, I, I knew what I wanted to do in some fashion very early on and I know a lot of people don't have that luxury. They get through college and they still don't know what they want to do or they get through high school and they don't know what they want to do. Um, I didn't have that issue. It was audio from a very early age, um, probably taking apart eight track players and things like that. Wow, really cool memories. And going back to
0: that five-year-old Charles Van Winkle, are you are you still turning up audio and playing it loud or have you kind of mellowed out a bit now?
1: No, I, I um, you know, as part of audio education and going to a lot of different seminars, uh, you also learn a lot about hearing loss and how irreversible that is. So, um, I became quite careful about that, at least with my own ears, when I thought I was going to have a career in audio production and and I would need to maintain my ears well for that. Um, since joining Adobe and being here thirteen years and playing racquetball on the side, I've kinda let that go and I have three kids now and, you know, they scream in my ear and so I've kind of decided that I can't keep my ears up like I used to, but uh, I was pretty careful about it for a while.
0: That's good and very good advice uh, with reference to hearing loss for certain. Uh, looking after those those volumes and the dBs that you're, you're playing things at, very, very important indeed. So, um, okay, let's get stuck in a little bit deeper now to Adobe Audition as we celebrate 25 years of the software this year. Uh, this is going to be, a, I'm sure, a tough question to ask you, Charles, as someone who knows uh, Adobe Audition pretty much inside and out. But if you had to narrow it down to just a favorite feature in Adobe Audition for you, what would that be?
1: Well, it's probably because I already mentioned it. It's generate speech uh, just because um, it was fun to do. It's simply fun to play with. Uh, and some of the other people on the team didn't uh, see the value in it uh, right away. They're like, well, what's what's the point? And what's your long-term plan? I said, no, it's just a toy. It's just going to be fun. And it's really satisfying to see Random people on Twitter or online mention the feature or show usage of it and how much they like it. So, for me, um, I started out as a tester on Audition before I became a programmer, and almost all of my bug reports started from scratch. So, it's, it's you know, launch the application, go to generate tones, create a file just to show that it didn't need to be file specific. So, everything was generate tones, generate tones, sometimes generate noise. And now uh, my default, when I need just some audio to test something with or to have a non-empty file with which to start, I'm always going to generate speech and having different voices say different things. And it just adds a little bit more... uh, fun and personification to the process. That's really cool. So
0: branching off from that uh, favorite feature, generate speech, which I also think is fantastic. I have two questions branching off from that. Uh, so maybe you can speak to those. Firstly, I'd really like to know uh, some of the use cases you're discovering. So how are people using this feature creatively? And, and secondly, I'd love you to speak to uh, how exactly that works, because I understand if you're on a Mac or a PC, you get a different set of voices. So sometimes you talk about, oh, there's this cool voice oh but it's only if you're on a mac is there any way you can you can change that or expand the voices that are available or is it basically the os that you're using so maybe you can answer both of those questions uh,
1: yeah so uh I'll, the second one's uh, easier to answer um you can actually install additional voices um both from the operating system manufacturer you know uh, microsoft or apple um or there are some third-party companies that create voices you can license, just like you would li- license um, stock sound effects or stock music, or you would license a plugin. You can license a uh, voice synthesizer. Uh, there's a few companies out there, and I think we have them documented in our help article on this feature. Um I don't want to uh, leave any of these manufacturers out, but one of the ones that had a lot, and I know that I worked with to validate that their voices work on both Mac and Win, is a company called Kepstral. C-E-P-S-T-R-A-L. And um, the licensing will depend on what sort of productions you're using them for. Um, a small project or a large project, like a large film, the, the rates would change. But I liked the time that I had to work on this since it was kind of a side project that I could make sure that the feature could withstand operating system upgrades or other changes. And it's not just something that we would be responsible for ourselves. And a lot of the features in Audition where we can do that, where we can rely on open APIs um, and, and open frameworks, gives longer life to a feature or to Audition itself um, other examples, we've done that with uh, audio file formats. So both with the, um, the voices and the formats, you can see a change between Windows 7 and Windows 10 where Windows changed which voices were available by default. Um, Colin, back to your, f- your first question, Colin Smith, who used to work at Adobe and now does training for various Adobe products on his YouTube channel, um, I think as a video revealed um, had a very cool use case when he was debuting this his take on this feature. And um, since he de- talks about all the Adobe products, he was able to snap his finger and he, he switched out the background behind him on, on his um, uh, video to uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris. And so it made it look like he was in Paris um, to some extent. And he said, I don't speak French, and but I want to have this scene sound like I'm actually there. So he went to Google Translate and he typed in some flight announcement in English and then he translated into French and then he chose a French voice on uh, Audition and piped it in and then he underlaid it into his track and added a little bit of reverb and uh, some other EQ and it sounded just like you were at the airport. And so it was was a pretty cool sound design trick, and, and that's kind of the overview of this video. I really recommend checking it out. He kind of showed a really good holistic context for how this feature could be used in a uh, in a real way.
0: That's really really cool so I can definitely see why that that raises your favorite feature in audition. And it's fun. Yeah, I, I was looking at the uh, the help site so I see Keptra listed there and I think also Neo speech as well uh is is listed on on the help documentation as far as I can see. Um but yeah, certainly being being able to having the knowledge that you can expand that feature is is also really cool. Um so let's move on now and look at um amazing workflows and time-saving shortcuts. What, in your experience, Charles, would you say um, really helps in Adobe Audition to, to speed things up and, and get things going for you? Uh,
1: one of the things that was is continually a huge time-saving workflow was the flexible fade handles that we have in our multitrack. So that was something um, I and another person spearheaded in, I think we debuted it in Audition 3, maybe, I don't think it was in Audition 2. And I got some of the ideas from that from my time working as a classical music editor, and I used uh, Sonic Solutions for that. And they have really, really intricate fades. But um, when I compare what other audio workstations did at the time, you know, if you did a fade or a crossfade in Pro Tools, it would render something out and you'd wait for a little progress dialogue, depending on how fast your system was. And it wasn't necessarily as flexible. So I wanted to find something that was as flexible as what Sonic did, but not being as complex. And that's continually gotten very good feedback from people that have tried audition for the first time and they're coming from other audio workstations. And especially if they're coming from a nonlinear video editor where uh, crossfades or as they would call them transitions, in my mind, is a very cumbersome process for something that is so critical to audio editing and mixing is just having your cuts sound okay and to be able to blend together. Um, So that is a simple thing but is a real time saver. Um, Some other tips and tricks that I've given to go back to some of the forensic stuff is uh, sometimes you might find it more interesting to reverse a file, reverse the audio uh, before running noise reduction. And if you think about noise reduction being, you know, a typical synthesizer, attack, decay, sustain, release, envelope, uh, sometimes, depending on what you're going for, you might want that slope to be reversed. Um, So you'd reverse the the audio, run your noise reduction, reverse it again back forward and listen to it. And sometimes I've ran noise reduction both forward and backward to kind of get a you know, a cross envelope on certain things. Um, a lot of people don't think to do that. It's not really suggested in the UI, but that's a really interesting tool um, that you can use for noise reduction. Um if you, if you have a little bit of time to do some trial and error.
0: Wow, I really like that. That's never anything that I've ever thought about reversing before running noise reduction, but I, I guess, yeah, you're right. In the, in the way that audio could be constructed, that could be a, a, a really cool tip. Uh, so, brilliant. Well, we've um, we've had a good deep dive into uh, some of the features inside Audition, those time-saving uh, shortcuts and workflows. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, gear, if you'd be willing to. So, um Any audio gear that you particularly like or recommend, whether it be uh, a microphone, uh, a preamp, a processor,
1: a bit of MIDI gear, anything that you're particularly a fan of? Uh, I think the most important thing is a good set of headphones. And for any audio professional, whether it's live sound or film or radio or music, is a good set of headphones that you can trust and listen to in a number of environments. So When I was working in classical music, I stuck my flag in the uh, Sennheiser HD 600 camp. And um, I have other gear that's more expensive, but uh, those things um, don't have any kinks in the cable and it has its own Pelican flight case that uh, has a very hard shell and and, um, they're taken care of quite well. So I would say find a really good set of headphones, invest in a good pair and learn how things sound on those, just like any other reference system. And, uh, that helps you sort of tune how you mix or how you listen to things. Uh, headphones is really, really important for noise reduction. And it's really, really important for other sort of precision based uh, workflows. So that's my favorite. Um, Uh, For preamps, uh, again, a lot of when I was purchasing gear was in the um, classical music uh, part of my career. So uh, millennia preamps, and I had some uh, Sheps microphones that I still have, and I bought some DPAs. So I had some omnidirectional DPAs that I would use for wide mics, and then I have some uh, uh, match set of uh, Sheps uh, subcardioids. Uh, that I would use for closer things. And I would use those for recitals. And they're also in a flight case and have been sitting for years and years. But as my kids start having uh, recitals, I'll probably become one of those parents that comes in with uh, a truckload of gear for something that's very simple. But I have to use it somehow nice, really
0: cool advice there so um, well, the whole episode has consisted of some really, really interesting uh, features, workflows, ideas, um, and lots of lots of knowledge uh, so definitely one of those shows that people will be uh, i'm sure uh, replaying to to capture everything that you've said here charles but um i'd like to really wrap up by asking you what you would tell a young and aspiring person uh, who's hoping to to work in the audio industry. Perhaps as a producer, an engineer, uh, maybe a, a creator of some kind, they want to get into the industry. What would you tell them?
1: Think of each of the tools. Uh, don't get stuck on any one audio workstation and and it may be controversial for someone who makes one to to recommend to to look at several different ones. Um, a lot of them have their pros and cons. And so I look at uh, audition, but everything else is just another, club in the caddy, if, if you can accept a golf analogy. Um, some are better at pitching, some are better at driving, um, and some are better for you know all-around use. Become familiar with more than one, uh, because even though Audition is is around for 25 years, we've seen other things come and go, um, especially in the recent years. Um, I'm confident that Audition has staying power and, and will be around for a lot longer. We have got a great team working on it and um, investment from the company and, and a, a lot of fun customers that need improvements. So don't be tied to any one set of gear other than your headphones. And, um, again, like I mentioned before, uh, look at other things besides music, um, in case you haven't done that yet, there's a lot out there. And, and I've seen some of my friends from audio school in the past branch into several different areas and there's a lot out there. It, it could even be Something very specific like sound design for uh, theme parks. I knew a friend that went into that for a while. Very, very specific and has its own unique challenges, but it's also very rewarding if if you have the audio bug.
0: I really like it. Well, an inspirational episode, and uh, it's been great to chat to you, Charles. Really enjoyed it. So um, if somebody would like to check you out online or, or take things further and, and connect with you online, where is the best place to find you?
1: Uh, the first thing to do is uh, from Audition's help menu, go to uh, help user forums. Um, I and other people on the team uh, occasionally answer questions there and we read more than to what we respond to. Uh, sometimes you can just call me out and say, hey, where's Charles? And someone will will uh, bring it to my attention. Same thing with the help provide feedback um, uh, an important way to get in touch with me is is if Audition ever crashes. I do actually read the comments that you would put into the crash reporter, and sometimes I reach out to people for more information. So, um, if you're unlucky enough to have that happen to you, and you think, "Oh, does anyone read these or see these?" I'm the guy. I do actually read those, and I'm very passionate about uh, that area. Uh, lastly, um, pretty much anyone that tweets about Adobe Audition, I can continually search for that on Twitter. Um, so I'll usually like any mention that you have for audition and sometimes follow uh, my Twitter handle is audibly Chuck, uh, which is sort f- short for Sir Charles, the audible, which is a name that I've used on some other things. And um, you'll find me You've, if you match up Charles and audition. Uh, I'm the only one that's worked on audition with the name Charles that I know of. So um 13 years of this, uh, that that combination going. So I think if you Googled it, I would come up first.
0: Really, really cool. Well, Charles,
1: it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, really enjoy the episode. Absolutely. And thanks for everything that you do. It's fun to listen to your episodes from time to time. And um, I actually have learned quite a bit. I haven't done a lot of uh, true radio imaging and radio production. It's it's uh, It's an area that I didn't know about. So there's things on the vocal processing chain as an example that I've learned from watching your stuff. Very much appreciated. Thank you. If you want to grab the exact Adobe Audition template I
0: use, head over to mrc.fm slash presets. That's mrc.fm slash presets. And you can grab my Adobe Audition multi-track template there. Hey, it's Mike back again and I just wanted to let you know as a podcast listener to go and grab your free exclusive audio download from us here at Music Radio Creative. Just head over to mrc.fm forward slash play.